Hey, Barbara, just curious, who's responsible for the schedule? Curious Teams is a podcast for design, construction, and owner teams. Welcome to Curious Teams. I'm Fred Gutierrez. And I'm Barbara White Bryson. And we're here to make the design, construction, and owner environments a better place. And today we're going to talk all about schedule. It's uh, one of these words that we just take for granted. You know, it's a necessary part of our projects that kind of gives gives everybody a sense of when the project's going to progress and get completed. But I'd really like to spend some time with you today, Barbara, talking about what really a schedule can be and how we sometimes misuse it. I think your opening question really starts us off on the right foot for this discussion, Fred. You asked who's really responsible for the schedule. And I think that if you asked the various team members of a design and construction project, that you probably get different answers. You know, for example, um, an architect is probably feeling responsible for the design schedule. The contractor's feeling responsible for the construction schedule. But in fact, all of those, especially on a uh, collaborative project, are deeply integrated. And the success of those design schedules and construction schedules are often very dependent on the decision-making of the owner, the ability of the architect to get answers they need in order to make decisions. And uh, similarly, uh, the contractor is very dependent on the architect for decisions during construction. This idea of schedule kind of really ties into the team itself and how the team works with each other and reacts to each other. And, and oftentimes when schedules are first drafted, the team is still in that gestating phase where they're starting to learn each other and how each other works. So I think it's appropriate, you know, early in a project that these schedules are somewhat conceptual and they're authored by, you know, either the the, des the design team, the architect, or or the, you know, oftentimes there's a a person dedicated in the construction company that that's a scheduler. That's all they do is schedules. And really the best they can do is, is give a draft of how they see the project laying out. But the good teams recognize that that draft is the opportunity to engage in teamwork to test if this schedule is something that will help them build the project in a more efficient way. It's a great point because there's there's two sides to that too. It's similar to developing a project budget as we discussed during the, the budget episode. The team needs to collectively develop the schedule based on the scope, uh, the pressures, the environment, the pressures, the market, many aspects of Problems, challenges, and opportunities are embedded in those conversations. But once a schedule is set, it's um, and this is the other side of it, it's important to understand that the owner may be deeply relying on that schedule for revenue, for the ability to, in, in my case, accommodate students on a certain day in September, to be able to be ready 
for a production line to be launched. The schedule is deeply important to the owner. Uh, and so as the team is noodling about what it's going to take to build, they also need to keep in mind that there are end dates that are going to be very important to the user of that building. Yeah, this goes back to our conversation on deadlines. If you haven't listened to that one, you should stop right now, go back and listen to it. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I think often, you know, I'll, I'll press back a little bit, often too much emphasis of about about a schedule is on the end date. And we all know that that's very critical, that deadline, that, that kind of drop dead finale that says, you know, things need to be complete so that this can be used in a certain way. Within that, just like in the budget, there are milestones in there that are critical for work to start and stop and decisions to be made. This goes back to our decision making. Right. This right. is really interesting how everything folds together. <laughs> <laughs> it does. But it deeply knits together. Yeah. Yeah. What I love, what I really love about schedules is, is the questions that, they, that, that, that arise from them. And that it, it's a tool, it's, it's almost a non-threatening tool to start a conversation. Um, you can introduce somebody in. It, it, you know, the, the, the prime thing is, is you're bringing in, a, you're onboarding. So that's another episode you got to go listen to. Whenever somebody's engaged yeah. with their first view of that schedule or, or <clears throat> understanding or participating in it, that allows them to share with the team the challenges and questions that are necessary to make that possible. You know, oftentimes an architect or owner would say, I need it done by, you know, the beginning of school, which is, you know, I don't know. I've been a little out of the industry for a while. What is that? September something. And, you know, the builder initially would say, well, I would, I would build it in one way. If you said October, I'd build it in a different way. If you say September. And that changes the dynamics of how information is exchanged, who, who you choose to work with. Um, sometimes, you know, the materials you even choose to use. Um, it really opens up the door for the critical conversations that make projects successful. I, I agree. In fact, um, to be very, very clear here, high-functioning teams will do two very important things related to schedules. The first one is that they will go to the schedule on a regular basis to track how the project is performing. And second, the moment that a problem with schedule, timing, coordination, or changes impact the schedule, they will let the entire team know so that the team can adjust, the team can make decisions that will allow the project to get back on schedule. This, this reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week, in fact, Fred. I was talking to some institutional owners who are clearly suffering greatly from the current supply chain prices that were, and timing that we're experiencing. Uh, happily, if you've got a great team, uh, they'll be talking about these supply chain, uh, these supply chain challenges as they go on. But these institutional, um, you know, they're architects that work for uh, hospitals and, and universities. They're saying, hey, our boards are telling us that we've got 
to do design bid build processes in order to keep prices down. Well, you and I know that that's the lazy person's approach to getting the first lowest cost. It's not an effective way of keeping price down. But even more than that, as we're talking about schedules, the minute you go behind that opaque wall of the bid process, unless you have a really extraordinary team, there's a high risk of schedule impacts being hidden from the owner for quite a while. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an indicator you know, the design bid build, you know, I, I honestly have an affinity to design bid build still for some projects, but not an institutional project. <laughs> They're just too complicated. Yeah. The, the simpler the project, the more straightforward yeah. the project. Yeah. And as a former board member of mine used to say, the closer to a commodity a project is, right. uh, in, in fact, so many things are already sorted out the better a bid process would be. But the more complex a project, the higher the risk goes if you're not in a transparent collaborative environment. Yeah. By the way, you can do collaboration in design, bid, build, but that tends to be the choice of the contractor, not of the rest of the team members. Yeah, I remember the downturn in 2008 in, in, in the institutional you know, realm. Maybe it's 2000, mm -hmm. yeah, 2008. And... Um, you know, I did a lot of work at Harvard and MIT, and I remember doing a walkthrough at an MIT lab that we were, we were going to bid on, a design bid-build project, and there were over 10 GCs walking that job. <laughs> and, you know, it goes back to that attention. Um, sure, you're going to get a low number there somewhere, but that person sure. is... It's not the right person for the project. I mean, there's just so many reasons why why this is a bad idea. I mean, I, I don't know if we want to go into them, but um, the 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 way somebody survives that as a builder is, you know, in the best of senses, they've just got a lock on on an efficiency that nobody else has, which is hard to believe. And in the worst case, they know holes in the drawings that they're, they're more willing to leverage than the other builders may or may not do. That's a very kind and diplomatic way of saying that. <laughs> so you know, to get this more um, focused uh, on schedule, so here's, here's the deal. We all know that there's no such thing as a perfect set of drawings. And for me, that's always been, okay, I don't want architects being negligent. I don't want engineers being negligent. However, there are there is some information that just will not be available until later in a project in order to, that allows you to make the best decision about that particular system or element in the building. So in fact, you want the team to be able to help help make some of the decisions that are ostensibly called gaps in the drawings, but I'm going to say, hey, drawings are a work in progress and they should be. But if you do an opaque project, you will not have that collaborative approach to solving the problem for the most economical way and back to schedule the, the most efficient way, as you said, Fred, earlier. 
there's so much about schedule that could be saved early on. And we've talked about this before, um, Mm -hmm. the, the importance of feeling urgency early in the project. But that your team can say, well, wait a minute, we can do this a week earlier if we could use this material instead of that material, because then we don't have to get that subcontractor in to do that and then to come back and do it again. Those kinds of conversations are really critical to success, and they may also make every member of the team feel like they're part of that success. Yeah, it reminds me of kind of the running joke when people were just a little frustrated with an aggressive schedule. They'd say, well, yeah, certainly it's possible. We'll just need a busload of electricians, and we'll drive them by, and we'll get, them done. We'll get it done in one day. <laughs> and we all know um, from experience that that throwing bodies at a project for schedule, you know, um, expediting is not, is, is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe to, to lose control of quality, um, to, to totally lose control of cost and efficiency and to break down, um, the ability for people to engage with each other's strengths. Agreed. I had a project uh, years ago now that it was clear that the uh, the selected subcontractor for the millwork through this enormous facility was not going to be able to get it done. And we had to throw more companies and more bodies at the project at the end, mm-hmm. but that obviously was not the best way to do it. The best way to understand what's going on is to make sure you, when you are getting off schedule, that you have that information early and then you can plan what is the best way to handle that schedule challenge. I think now might be a good time to go into a couple tools of scheduling. We wanted to talk a little bit about pull planning and scheduling. And maybe we talk about batch planning a little bit, though I'm not an expert in that. Um, you know, I'll introduce pull planning and you can you can correct correct me. I think it's you know, there's a there's a right way there's a there's a right way from the Lean Construction Institute for pull planning. But for me, the basic premise of pull planning is to work backwards on a project. To start with the end and let let that last activity dictate what they need in order to be successful to the people that are responsible to give them that. And you know, I'll say I'll start from, you know, say from the, um, let's say from drywall, you know, for for someone to sheetrock in a schedule, what they need to start saying is, I can do this work if the framer is done and he's blocked out and they've had their inspection and the electrician is roughed out, they've got their boxes in, they've had their inspection and, you know, the floor is clean of materials, so I'll be able to stage it to be able to access the ceilings. With that environment, I might be able to work 50% faster than the situations that I often run into where the electrician's not ready, there's a pile of mechanical equipment in the middle of the room that I can't work around, and the inspector for the framing or the blocking isn't done because the submittals on the bathroom accessories has not been determined. So we don't know where the blocking is going to go. That's a typical project. 
where people aren't ready for each other. So a pool planning schedule starts to bring in these actors, these, these participants, the tradesmen, the groups, the subcontractors. And this can go at varying levels of individuals, co companies. Um, but it really puts on them the, the task of what do they need to be successful? And it creates those conversations. So a pull plan just works backwards through the whole project. Now, a good superintendent, and there's some excellent superintendents out there, understand all of those conversations. And a good superintendent, if they had the time, they can start to put that schedule together knowing their subcontractors. But oftentimes there's a little bit of information that still gets lost, even with a subcontractor that you know that may may say, well, you know, I've my my team A had to travel to Poughkeepsie. I've got team B, they're great guys, but they're not as fast and they work in a different way. And those subtleties in knowing your teams and how people work really can make up that that make or break on on a schedule for the deadline. So you said um, there are three aspects of what you said that I want to reinforce because it's so important. First, you get the players in the room, if possible, all the players, but at least make sure you have mm -hmm. all the critical players in the room sharing their knowledge. And the, what you, the example you provided was not just saying, uh, we're going to get the delivery on the 14th. We could probably be ready on the 15th. No, they're saying, here's the conditions that I need on site, and here are the decisions I need in the trailer uh, in order to be able to proceed. So you have to be willing as a team member in this situation to, to um, go ahead and voice your needs. You're not hurting anybody's feelings when you do it. In fact, you're helping the entire project when you voice your needs. And then the third thing is that uh, you gotta circle back because stuff does happen. These are enormously complex projects where there's a lot of moving parts. And yes, it may be that we hit a supply chain bump, or it may be a labor bump, which we're both of which we're all experiencing these days. And so going back and saying, well, we're just not going to be able to have the labor to clear that floor that day. What does that mean? And how should we modify the schedule to address that? That's really critical. So you brought up so many, so many great points there. Um, the other thing that I really love about getting people together to have this conversation is <clears throat> you can now have that, that sheetrock subcontractor look in the eyes, the electrical foreman <laughs> and say, my success is based on your ability to help me. And that relationship is real. Um, it's beyond them getting their, pay, their, their checks for work complete. There's a camaraderie like in war or in, in, in professional sports or in something that they want each other to succeed. And if there's a conflict there, oh, the electrician says, oh, you know, I can't be ready because I don't have the boxes. How about you install, you, you just punch out the whips for me there and I'll cut the boxes in later. I'll take that responsibility. So you create these resolutions to problems that they're unique, but they're also based on this relationship of wanting each other to succeed 
independent of you know contracts and the larger picture of just people getting paid. It really makes people do beautiful things for each other. You had a wonderful example in an earlier episode about, you know, once you've built relationships, if somebody is blocking you on the job site with their materials or their truck or something, and you really need to get through, you can have that conversation rather than having to go back to the to the project manager and say, oh, I can't get right. it done today because it makes such a big difference. Right. Can we talk about design pull schedules for a minute? <laughs> you can't, it shouldn't be anything different than the regular schedule. It should be all together, but let's talk about design. Well, I, I love design pull <laughs> schedules. Uh, just as, and I, by the way, I endorse uh, construction pull schedules and lean construction just as much as you do. Uh, the Lean Construction Institute has done a great job at helping us find efficiencies on the job site and cooperative, collaborative efficiencies. Um, a design pull schedule is much the same, uh, and I've had beautiful experiences with it where it helps inform the architect about what are the critical needs of the contractor related to decisions of different parts of the building, especially helping us with uh, budget and schedule uh, so that we can keep things on track, do buyouts at the right time, and, uh, and also be able to get pricing uh, in a prompt way. So all of these things work together, and it's the same thing. You work from the end of the project uh, backwards, but you are also informed by the... Um, the other needs of the project, which uh, may impact that design so that you're not just getting, boy, am I getting discombobulated, hold on. <laughs> so you're working backwards so that you are informed, not just by what needs to be designed first, second, or third in order to get to the end, but you are also being informed by the construction team needs, the engineering team needs, um, the needs of the owner to have information at certain times in order to overall be successful on the project. Well, I think, I think one other thing I want to talk about with schedules is that oftentimes um, they come in late. <laughs> and there's, there's there, you know, everybody has that situation where why did my project take longer than, than it was supposed to? And I think the, I think there's a couple different reasons, and you'll probably add some to me. One is optimism is essential. People can't operate in this world without being optimistic. People tend to want to see the best case scenario, and that's fine. So I think I think when schedules are generated initially, in kind of the conceptual phase, it is in a in a vacuum. It doesn't accept the the chaos of the world, and the missed um, connections within that that circuitry. The other thing that that often is is just not said out loud is time is money, and the people putting together these schedules know that if they can't get it done quickly, they lose a lot of money, um, both for usually for themselves and the subcontractors that are working on them. So they want they want it to be fast. Um, and there's there's an attractiveness to getting a job done sooner than than your competition. Now, how do we deal with that? You know, I don't think it's fair to just say, well, we missed the schedule. 
I think we have to recognize that a schedule is a tool that helps us organize events. And within that, we need to have some ability to manage, and this is just like the budget, uh, a contingency, these unknowns, the risk in the job. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. There's risk in the schedule, just like there's risk in the budget. And how do you manage that? You know, one way is just to say, oh, we missed it. We just need more time. The other just say, oh, we missed it. How can we make it up? How as a team can we work to make up that time? Or in a better situation is we're looking ahead. We might miss this because there's risk here. Let's eliminate the risk. Let's, let's, let's make it so that we don't lose time then by changing the detail or a way of working so that the risk can be minimized. So I agree, this is, this is really difficult. And for me, it's actually the best solution is when you know immediately that you've got a schedule bust of some sort so that you can work together to try to overcome it, just like you would try to overcome as a team a budget bust uh, of some sort. And the sooner you do it, the smaller the schedule hurdle is for you to overcome just like on a budget, you know, time, as you said, time is, is money. So that first part is absolutely true. You've got to make sure you've set up a collaborative environment where you know about schedule bus right away and you can do something about it. Now you can't always come up with a perfect answer, but that's also why you should consider some sort of schedule contingency uh, because there are going to be challenges that you can't overcome uh, that, you know, in the supply chain experience that many of you uh, are experiencing now and have been experiencing for the last two years is one of those things that is very difficult to manage. But a schedule contingency is problematic. Why? Because it is very difficult to manage it as risk as you're talking about, Fred. And that's that would be ideal. If you can set up your, your day, say you um, have a two-year schedule and you set up uh, 21 days for a schedule contingency uh, based on your estimate of risk for the project. But every time that you recalibrate the schedule, you've got to decide not how many days do we have left, but how many days are required for that schedule contingency in order to be successful. So you may be 50% through the project, but you might also say, well, wait a minute, we know that certain subcontractors can't find any labor right now, so we're really gonna have to retain 15 days of schedule contingency at this moment. And that shows us over schedule, beyond schedule, by a week or two weeks or whatever it is at that moment. Schedule contingency is really hard to manage because most of your team members are gonna think of it as a spending account. Oh goody, we've got lots of time. And it cannot be managed that way or you will lose. Yeah, this makes me think about our deadline conversation and the real constraints on what what the end of a schedule is and how that relates to the work getting complete at the end. Oftentimes schedules will, will lag or they'll be behind. And rather than 
allowing the the latter components of that schedule to have their share of reasonable time to do their work <laughs> yeah they either get pushed off past this deadline or they get compressed so it, it usually comes down to painting and cleaning <laughs> and the poor painters yeah. have to drive the bus by and it's it's visibly a, a mistake because you need time to paint people trivialize how hard painting can be and cleaning uh, an unclean delivery is a tragedy and it takes more than a day to clean a large institutional project to the to the point in which it needs to be useful and it's you know commissioning gets pinged i mean it 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 mm -hmm. dominoes and these mm -hmm. these are you know it's the, to me it's the contractor's responsibility to remind the entire project team every single day at the beginning of the project that mm -hmm. if they're getting behind on decisions if they're getting behind on design that they absolutely are impacting the quality and the potential delivery of the project on time. Uh, and, and stating the consequences clearly, again, is a gift. It's not being a naysayer. It's a gift mm -hmm. to keep that sense of urgency at the front mm -hmm. of the project. But I, I agree. I've seen that way too many times, and it just breaks my heart to see um, the folks who are responsible for closing up that project and doing a great job um, in the last days be be hit with those kinds of challenges yeah it's um it's it's sad it's landscapers. It's sad. Yeah, landscape yeah landscapers Paving, is another one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um bad the one one other thing i want to say and maybe this is getting too far into the details um maybe i'll just ask you is how do you like to see schedules? What visually, or how do you interact with schedules yourself? And I'll, I'll talk a little bit after you. What, what, what's, what's a good schedule for you? How does it work? Uh, a good schedule for me is, uh, is understandable, quickly readable. Um, yes, have I used and managed uh, and worked with critical path schedules? Yes, but they really do fall down in helping you understand what are the critical decisions to be made in order to stay on schedule. So keeping it as simple as possible, I really like to have a seven, you know, one or two week look ahead. What are we supposed to be doing? Are we doing it? That sort of thing in the context of the larger schedule. But uh, it's, it's uh, for me, you know, we often get necessarily gets so overly complex that it's very difficult for decision makers to understand all those dynamics. Yeah, I I agree. There they can there's a lot of information to be housed in these schedules and often it takes multiple different ways of looking at the schedule. So I agree a a network schedule that identif identifies the critical path is absolutely essential. Um, on the builder side to understand what are the really the key components to the project that make the project possible because really there are there are some paths through the project and I'm just hoping people understand what I'm saying by paths you know in terms of they need they need that amount of time to do something and they just don't have any more so that's the critical path is 
you know, say, say the, the mechanical equipment shows up on this day, it can't be installed before that day. You can't get it any sooner. And then it needs to be up and running and commissioned. So that's oftentimes a critical path in the project. And even though it, it, it may not seem important on day one, that submittal for the mechanical is the most important decision at the end of the project. And it's on day one. Um, because you know this already, but the visualization of that is hard. is is almost um, it's almost coding. You know, it's 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 a lot of data put in and and fed back out. What's also interesting and and a, a great vehicle or 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 tool is is the Gantt chart, which which is basically a bar chart. And what's nice about those is it shows the relationship pretty clearly in a visual manner of tasks to of the completion of a task to the start of a task and what it often does is it shows float in the task let's get into the details it it may sh it may show that right right hey right. i i'm going to finish this task but i've got a week before i need to start the next task that's in this area or a, a t or connected to this task and that float is your opportunity maybe your, your opportunity it's also dangerous to do work too soon but it may be your opportunity to make up some time um, for others in another way. So it's visualizing that uh, that can be key. It's also understanding that relationship of the design, the design decisions within the construction schedule that affect schedule. You know, the, the, the procurement of, of materials, you know, the submittals being approved and the, to the time it takes for them to fall in. That gets pushed out past the design schedule, and it's a critical part of the construction schedule. So visualizing that. But then when you get into something like um, what we're talking about, pull scheduling, that's introducing so many players um, that, you know, the best way that I can get people to participate in that, and, and it's a lean thing, is you have to have a large, a large wall. You know, we're talking eight by you know, 20 and <laughs> yeah. usually you have these and you get a bunch of sticky, sticky notes and people start to free for all. They start to create their own language in terms of how they do their work and start to make relationships. And it's, it, it, it seems almost like a child's game when it happens, but it creates all those conversations that we we're talking about earlier when we we're talking about poll planning is how people see work being done and their connectedness to each other. So it's often interesting, and maybe we can put a, a link in the in the show notes to some images of pull planning, or maybe even some of the tutorials on how to do it. Yeah, that's a great idea. I I want to say this. I I think it also builds understanding. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question right now, Fred, that we we talked about before we started recording today, and that is, who needs to understand? A project schedule. You know, everybody needs to understand the project schedule. I mean, I mean, everybody. Uh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> got a role in it, and it's an important role. Everybody's and, uh, got a role in it, right? Yeah. And you know, it's 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 that person that that's responsible for the schedule. That was our other question: is who's responsible? We're all responsible, but there's somebody that hosts the schedule. This goes back to our Priya Parker conversation. <laughs> there's a host for the schedule, and it's their responsibility. To protect uh -huh, yep. the people that are participating in the schedule so they can be seen and heard 
and their information gets translated onto that schedule. Be it, you know, if it's important to them, it's important to you. So that needs to be recognized on the schedule. Yeah, and that's why I really appreciate the question you asked me just a little while ago, which is, how do I like to see a schedule? Well, that's going to be different for everyone. So finding ways to effectively communicate uh, the schedule to the architects, to the owners, to the users, so that they understand why their actions have an impact is so important. And uh, by the way, I just love to watch the process of the subcontractor doing the pull schedule with the sticky notes. It's kind of magical. It really is. And it's so it's so tactile. You really yeah. do understand what's yeah. going on. And somebody says, wait a minute, you can't do that before you do this. And they sw- go ahead and switch it around and have the conversation. It's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So everybody's got to understand the schedule, guys. You can't be lazy. You can't go go to sleep in the project meeting when they start talking about schedule because it impacts you and it impacts the work that you're doing, or at least the work that you're doing may very well impact that schedule. All right. Let's go get this done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go stay on schedule, everyone. So thank you so much for joining us at Curious Teams. This is Barbara White Bryson. And this is Fred Gutierrez. And now you go make the design, construction, and owner environment a better place. Find us at CuriousTeams.com, where we hope you share your comments and ideas. Look forward to upcoming episodes that answer questions that you've sent us on our website. And please subscribe to us on your podcasting platform. It helps us find more people like you. And it never hurts to do a five-star review.